This podcast discusses difficult topics that may not be appropriate for all listeners. We are not doctors or therapists. None of our content should be construed as medical advice, nor as a substitute for professional help. Names and other specific identifying details are often changed for the privacy and protection of our guests. Our guests' experiences are shared as they experienced them. Opinions may not reflect the opinions of Beck and Ella or this podcast. There will also be adult language used. Lots of it. Listener discretion strongly advised. Well, hello. Hi, Beck. How are you? I am good, Ella. How are you? I'm doing good. Good. Yeah. How's your week going? It's good. Busy. Tired. But overall, good. Good. Yeah. Um, I had an awesome day today because we got this message from a listener that literally made me happy dance. And I'm going to read some excerpts from it because I appreciate her so much. And Excellent. I she hears this next Wednesday and also does a little happy dance. Yay. She didn't give me permission to use her name. So it starts with an N. I'm just going to say that. But she sent our Facebook this message that said, you guys are so awesome. Literally my favorite podcast. And then later she said, my husband thinks I'm nuts because I wake up on Wednesday and it's the first thing I listen to. <laughs> That's amazing. I know. I, oh, I love it. I love that. I love it. <laughs> it made me so happy. Like we're someone's absolute favorite podcast. Yay. I know. Right? Thank you, N. Yes. Thank you. Thank you for listening. We appreciate you more than you know. Our listenership continues to grow to levels that are so surprising to me. <laughs> I know I say it all the time, but like Every time I look at it, I'm like, I don't know this many people, but <laughs> not people that are just listening because they know I'm going to quiz them on it when I run into them. I know. It's so exciting. <laughs> this is not that many. There's way more people than that. So just again, shout out to everyone. We would love to hear feedback, emails. If you want to be a guest, if you want to check out our Patreon, please do so. Shoot us a message on Facebook if you want to like make my day or Instagram or any of those fun things. We would love to hear from you. Yeah, definitely. So with that, we will get started. We have like a rock star, like a real one in <laughs> the studio today to talk to us. Bethany is here. Can I say the name of your band? Sure. She is in a band called Plastic Angels. I highly recommend checking them out. They have a new single out that is fantastic. And we're going to link to that in the show notes as well. So definitely show her all the love. Check out some great music. Thank you so much, Bethany, for being here with us today. Thank you so much for having me. And this is pretty amazing, the platform that you're giving survivors. It's incredible. Yeah, I'm really, really proud of it. And I feel like we're really teaching people some things and hopefully someone will hear something at some point that will resonate with them and give them the bravery to leave a situation or start a conversation with someone they think may be in an abusive relationship or whatever the case may be. So I'm very thankful to everyone that's coming on to tell their stories and everyone listening and sharing. So uh, with that, so Bethany is one of my, you ever have those people that you're friends with on Facebook, but you've never met in real life <laughs> and like everything they post, you're like, we're supposed to be best friends. Like I just, <laughs> we have to meet someday. She's one of my friends like that on social media. So I'm very excited to get to actually talk to her today. So uh, with that, Bethany, tell us a little bit about yourself. Take it away. Yeah. So um, 
I am 35 years old, and I grew up in a Pentecostal family. Uh, my, my dad is a Pentecostal minister, and I have five brothers and sisters. We're a very big family, sort of that stereotypical big religious family, the seventh heaven family, for those of you who are 90s kids. <laughs> I watched that show. <laughs> like, literally, kids at school used to be like, oh, so you're kind of like show seven <laughs> But yeah, so I grew up in a Pentecostal family, and for those of you who aren't familiar with Pentecostalism, it's pretty a pretty strict denomination of Christianity. So you know, we believed things like you know the only way to be a happy person is to be a Christian and to be a born again Christian. You're lucky that God loves you and sent Jesus to die for your sins because you are so unworthy of God's love. Some pretty heavy ideas when you really sit and think about them. Especially for a child. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I was, gosh, I remember being four or five years old and going up to an altar call and, you know, being so proud because I prayed that Jesus would come into my heart and I was now saved. You know, so from a super young age, I was learning about things like spiritual warfare. So this idea that, Satan is constantly on the prowl looking to, you know, devour the souls of of humanity. And at any point, you could make a decision that sort of steers you away from Christ or steers you away from God, and that God and Satan are literally battling for the souls of human beings. Wow. It's like instilling fear. Absolutely. Like total fear. (laughs) I mean, you just, when you're four or five years old, you're, and you're actually believing that it is true that if you play with troll dolls, you might get possessed by a demon. You know? well, I don't yeah. remember troll dolls were so popular again in the 90s. I still have all mine. Oh, you I, do? I still have mine here. I'm so <laughs> jealous. <laughs> I never had trolls. Oh, I love them. I'm going to send you some of mine. Like, oh, what yeah. I need. It kind of cracks me. The troll movies came out, you know, there was like a a new like resurrection of the troll doll thing yeah um because i'm like oh my god like obviously not allowed to play with those and my friend had them on her shelf at at her house and i remember like walking by and being afraid and telling myself well if if like i walk by i'll just say in the name of jesus get thee behind me satan because if you say that then satan has to leave you alone so it's like a protect your shield yeah, I mean, yeah, he's battling God, but those couple words are strong enough to keep him away. Right. Yeah. Well, it's almost like a, you know, it's kind of funny because you can compare compare it to, you know, like incantations or or right. certain superstitions that people in Pentecostalism would completely be offended by that and say, you know, you can't compare these things to old world superstitions or, or you know, incantations or whatever, but it's not different. You know, it's pretty much, right. <laughs> it's pretty much the same. My friend grew up in a Pentecostal family as well, and his stepmom has these like prayer flags. Yes. She puts under her pillow. Oh, man. I'm like, this sounds real pagan. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> See, I've, I've never heard of the under the pillow part, but we did have people in church that would dance around the church and wave the prayer flags right as like an expression of their worship which is like it was you know it was pretty kooky yeah and strange to experience but i would say at least at least you're expressing yourself like (laughs) i guess yeah yeah being in that and then 
in my you know, my family life, my dad is a very passive person. And despite being a Pentecostal preacher, sort of preaching fire and brimstone, um, as a person, he was very like warm in a sense, but very passive. So my mother was actually the abusive one. And I look, I look back, I'm like, oh, it's kind of the cycle, the typical like cycle of a domestic abuser where like you have the love bombing and then all of a sudden they start to devalue you and you start to lose your identity. And then there's like the abuse and then there's the I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And the love bombing again. And you just kind of go around in circles. And so living with my mom, it was very much, you know, you walk on eggshells. She might come home from work and start screaming and swearing because somebody left the window open i mean you just you never knew what could set her off but then at the same time the unpredictability is so scary for a would imagine totally yeah but at the same time it's like she's a well-respected person you know she's a teacher and so it was like this weird dynamic of okay you're you're acting and doing some really bad things and treating people badly and yet you're so well respected by the community. You know, you're a pastor's wife, mm-hmm. you're a professional. So, and within that, you know, I was sexually abused by a family member and, so you know, there wasn't really any space to talk about that because I think, you know, kind of just learned, okay, well, if my family won't deal with the way that my, my mother is, if her abuse to us is, is pretty much acceptable because we just pretend like it doesn't happen, you know, we dry our eyes and then go to church, mm-hmm. then why, why am I going to say anything about what my, my sibling's doing? It's the unpredictability. Yeah. You don't know what's going to happen, so it's not a safe bet. And then I think, too, you know, abuse becomes normalized because that's your normal everyday life is that your mom is unpredictable and that, you know, your brother's abusing you and that you're going to church with these messagings that are basically making you feel shame. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of wild because I, I there was a song that when I was younger, you know, my mom used to collect these cassette tapes of backing tracks because she would sing in church. My sister would sing in church. And when I was young, I really wanted to sing in church too. And I used to practice the song and it was, it, it, it says, I should have been crucified. Oh my God. Mm. I look back, I'm like, wow, I was like 13, 14 years old singing. I should have been a crucified. I should have suffered and died. I should have been on the cross in dis- in disgrace, but Jesus took my place. So fucked up. What is a 13-year-old doing thinking that anything that they've could have possibly done in their life warrants crucifixion? <laughs> you know, right? It is so... <laughs> you're like, wow. Oh my. But when you're, you know, you're in that, it's just, that's your normal. So as I got older, you know, I ended up in abusive relationships and it was not something, again, that I really talked about. So, you know, my first boyfriend, it was kind of puppy love and we were young and... We started out as best friends and then started dating. And then soon enough, like one day we had an argument and we had both been laying in bed and he stood up on the bed and kicked me in the lower back while I was just laying there. Mm. And it was like shocking. You know, it was it was a shock. Yeah. But then it was kind of like, OK, well, you can sort of rationalize that and kind of be like, OK, well, maybe it won't ever happen again. Mm hmm. Well, and the whole message of God in many religions is God's a jealous God. If you don't love him or you don't accept this gift that you didn't ask for, you're damned. You know, and it's like, that sounds like an abusive relationship. It's very much. It sounds like 
just to like keep up. Yeah, so I I think I think you're totally right. It's you know this idea of this God that is supposed to be you know all loving and all powerful, and yet He's telling you how bad you are, and that you're lucky that He loves you enough to die for you, you know, or to send His Son to die for you. I mean, that's a pretty. It's not it's not very loving. It's not at all, you know. <laughs> you know, when you think about the things that domestic abuser will say to devalue their victim, you know, it sounds very similar, right? right? You know, like I'm not the bad guy. You just don't appreciate me, or you should realize how much I love you. I only do these things to you because I love you so much, and you make me so angry, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And so when you're raised, like that's a theme that can repeat itself because you're so used to it. So it makes sense. Yeah. And, and I think, too, you know, you're for me, um, I think I was sort of in that way kind of programmed to not be very independent, you know, in my in my actions and thoughts, you know, and, and, to, and to have compassion and, and just to always keep giving chances because that's what love is to you is somebody saying, you know, you're lucky that I love you. Well, then you know, you're going to you're going to keep giving chances to people and allowing, you know, toxic people into your life. And you're not going to see the red flags that a lot of other people might see. You're not going to interpret those actions as as red flags because they're just normal. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So that, you know, first boyfriend, a couple instances of, you know, physical abuse. And then second boyfriend was, you know, just very manipulative. And, and I wasn't he didn't want me to do things without him you know, guilt. He wasn't physically abusive, but guilt was a huge thing where it was like, oh, you know, you want to spend time with your friends. Well, how come you'd rather see them than me? And they'd be like, well, I've just spent all day with you or I've just spent the last three days with you, you know, just because I want to have lunch with a friend or something doesn't mean I don't want to hang out with you. So there was just like a lot of manipulation and, and some body shaming. And I think by the time I, you know, got to probably my worst relationship this boyfriend was sexually abusive too and that was something that was so just humiliating and also I didn't feel like I could talk to anyone about you know I felt as, as it was I was already sinning by having sex outside of marriage <laughs> and and you know so I had that kind of guilt on me already of like well I can't really talk about this to anyone because I guess it's sort of my fault because I'm I'm already sinning. It's terrible. I'm so sorry. They, thank you. It's it's, I, it's something I, I like to talk about because I don't think people realize, you know, that kind of the, the purity, the notion of like sexual purity, how much of a of a burden that can create for people. Oh my God! Yes, physically, mentally, and and so I was very lucky. I had a really great friend who, you know, she knew I was unhappy and she could see even though I had never talked to her about what you know the worst of what was going on she could see it wasn't really myself anymore right you know she could see I was very unhappy and it was like I was this kind of shell of a person just trying to hold it together and keep a smile on and no everything's great you know Mm -hmm. so she kind of she kind of convinced me was like you know you need you need to get away from him and it was like every time I would try to break up with him, I would go back, you know, you get sucked in. And so I finally was able to break things off. And she spent a lot of time with me and just kind of keeping me distracted. And I was just so lucky to have that friendship yeah, and her family. And then I met, you know, someone who was sort of a mutual friend, um, someone her husband had known, you know, not very well, but from work. And 
you know, we met at their house and we sort of talked a little bit and I thought I might go on a date with him. And I was, you know, sort of hesitant. He seemed very nice. And um, he, you know, came to my work. We, we worked not too far from each other. And he came to my work and he left a paper doll on my windshield one day as just like a cute little like hello gift. And I thought, okay, this guy is, seems kind of kind of not really my type, you know, kind of quieter than than I normally like go for and things like that. But I thought, okay, well, you know, maybe I'll give him a chance. And we had planned to go to a concert um, with some of his friends. And, you know, at the last minute I was like, I, I just don't think I can do this. So I canceled and it was, you know, he was going to meet me at my work on a Friday night and we would go to this concert. So I canceled. And a few weeks later, finally, I'm like, okay, I'm just going to go on a date with this guy. And we go to, we go to dinner things seem fine and we I had met him at his house and left my car there and we go to dinner together we go to you know one or two two local bars on the way home he's like oh I want to introduce you to some of my friends and by the end of the night you know we're at this one bar and I've met a couple of his friends and he's talking a little strangely <laughs> and he's like saying things like oh you know do you think my friend is cuter than me do you like my friend's beard more than my beard? Like just kind of strange little comments that you wouldn't, I'm mean, like, this is a first date and I'm sort of meeting kind of people that you hang out with from the area. And I didn't live, I lived a town over, so I wasn't super far, but it was just kind of weird. And so we go back to his house. We're just sitting there hanging out and he offers me another beer. And I'm like, oh no, I'm good. You know, I'm not, I'm not a I'm not a big drinker. I'm a social drinker, but, and he kisses me and I'm like, okay, this is all right. Then at one point he like very suddenly like jumps on me, like as kissing me. And I'm like, whoa, whoa. Like, you know, and I stopped him and I said, oh, you know, this isn't going to go any further than kissing tonight. You know that, right? And he just kind of stared at me. It was like the weirdest, like very blank look staring at me. And I'm just kind of looking at this guy and I'm like, okay. So then he starts kissing me again and he, you know, tries to put his hand up my shirt and I'm like, whoa, whoa, you know, and like pull his hand down. And then he tries again. And then all of a sudden he's just pins me down to the couch with, with his opposite arm and just starts trying to put his hand through in my shirt. And I just, I was free. I freaked. And I was like, I'm like, please stop, please stop, you know? And I, you know, I couldn't get up. It was a very squishy couch and I'm just begging and he's grabbing me and I'm like, what is happening? You know, like how did this go from, you know, sort of odd behavior, but nothing that I thought was aggressive to like aggressive, <laughs> you know? And um, so I, I was fighting him, fighting him and I eventually rolled off the side of the couch and ran to the other side of the room and I um, wore like high heels and no socks with jeans so my heels were on the other side of the room and I you know ran to get my shoes and I'm just staring at him and he's you know sat up on the couch looking at me and he's like it's okay it's okay I'm not a bad guy right of course not yeah no and I'm like what just happened and you know your mind is just racing a million miles an hour because I'm like did he not hear me? No, it's impossible. Of course he heard me. Like I'm screaming. Like how do you not hear someone when they're screaming and fighting and trying to grab your arm and pull pull your hands off them? And mm -hmm. you know, and he's like, it's okay. I'm not a bad guy. 
And he's just staring at me. I'm like, this is so bizarre. My mind is going and I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, okay. I'm like, well, I, I just, you know, I, I think I just want to go home. And I, you know, stepped my feet into my shoes and my wallet and my phone were on the coffee table. And I just kind of grabbed him and he gets up and he walks over to the threshold between the kitchen and the living room. And, you know, the, the door up to outside is two, three feet behind him. And he's like, no, 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 it's okay. It's okay. Like, I'm not a bad guy. I'm not a bad guy. This is like the definition of a bad guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Your picture is actually in the dictionary when you look up bad guy. Yeah. Like, I don't think you understand what the words that are coming out of your mouth mean. You're saying them, but I don't think yeah. you understand. Mm-hmm. Because your actions are clearly bad. Yeah. And he's just staring. And he's got this weird, like, it's so hard to explain, but just like a such a weird almost like checked out look you know when you i don't know if you've ever seen someone that it's like they're they don't seem like they're really there and i'm like okay well i just you know what i i just i just really want to go home so and he flips and he's like you're not going anywhere oh my god terrifying that is terrifying what is happening you know and i'm and i just and i I got scared and i started to cry and i'm like i'm like you know I, i won't I just really want to go home. Like, please, like, I won't tell anybody. Like, it's okay. It's just a misunderstanding. It's okay. Like, I just really want to go home. And as I'm like starting to cry a little bit and just kind of like beg, like, oh, you know, please, he calms down and he starts with the, well, what's the matter? What I don't, I don't know what's wrong. I'm not a bad guy. And he comes over. They make meds for this dude. (laughs) He comes over and he sits on, on the on the couch closest to where I was standing and he's like it's okay I'm not a bad guy and he's like sit with me oh my god and something in my my brain my body was just like just sit down and stay calm you know so I I sat down and had my wallet and my phone put them on the coffee table in front of me and I just sit down on the opposite end and I'm like trying not to fall off the couch because I'm barely sitting on it because I'm just so afraid to really do it but something in my brain was like stay calm right just just talk this you know and and he's like i don't know what you're so upset about i'm not a bad guy you've been drinking and i'm like whoa gaslighting yeah and i'm like you know that i haven't drank that much i mean this whole we've been hanging out like this whole night i i barely even had two beers you know every place we would go you would buy me a drink and i would never finish it because i'm not really a beer drinker and and i'm like i haven't even finished two beers i have chills you know, and my mind, you know, I'm so confused because I'm just, then I'm going, is it me? Am I crazy? Like what? I'm like, no, like I don't, I, I'm not drunk. And he's like, I don't know why you're so upset. I didn't do anything wrong. Ooh. So then I start to get a little like, you know, kind of pissed. And I'm like, you know what you did. You just, you know exactly what you did. What are you talking about? And I was like, I'm leaving. And I grabbed my, my keys and my wallet and went to run to the door and he got up and ran across the room and cut me off and was like, you're not leaving oh and got in front of the door and shut the lights off. Oh my God. It's terrifying. My heart is racing. I know my too. And I'm, and I'm just, yeah. And I'm like standing there in front of this guy and he's standing in front of his back door and my mind just goes, okay, this is it. Like this, this is it. If he gets you on the ground, you're not going to fight. 
You're not going to do anything. Mm -hmm. You just have to get out of this house. And you know when they say like your life flashes before your eyes? Yeah. (laughs) It was, I remember thinking, oh my God, I can't die because I haven't done anything yet. Like I just thought, like my instant thought with my life was like, I haven't even done anything worthwhile. Like this can't be, Mm -hmm. right? And so, you know, he shuts the lights off and I'm just... Oh my, and I had, I burst into tears and I'm like, please just let me go home. Please, please, please. Like, I won't tell anyone. I just want to go home. And he starts laughing and he's like, ha ha ha, what's wrong? What's the matter? What's wrong? Ha ha ha, and he's laughing. And he flips the light switch on and I like, you know, stop crying. And I stare at him and I'm just like, please, please let me go. Switches the lights off again. Oh. Ha 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 ha, what's wrong? What's wrong? And I'm like, please. And then, of course, I start crying again and like, oh my God, like, okay, now this is it, you know? And I'm just, I just begged and begged. And he finally just said, well, if you want to leave, go ahead. And he didn't move. And he's standing, I mean, almost with his back touching the door. And I'm like, is this a trick? Like, if I try to step toward him, is he going to grab me? Like, it, it, cause he was just, you know, taunting. And I was like, yeah, I, I want to leave. And he's like, hey, this has been super fun, but I really feel like I want to go. Yeah. <laughs> What's wrong with people? And he's just like, he's like, go ahead, go ahead. But he won't really step aside. And he's just pointing at the doorknob. And I just sort of like, what a sick fuck. Yeah. And I slowly reached forward for the door and he stepped out the way and I fucking ran. <laughs> Sorry, I don't know if it's okay. No, it's not. It's absolutely <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. So, so I just, I just, I ran to my car and jumped in my car. And of course, it's December. So there's frost on my car, December in New England, and there's frost all, all over my windows. And I'm like, oh my God, like I can't see anything. I don't, I don't care if I back into traffic. Like I just have to get out of here. And yeah, I, you know, sped home and I called my, my best friend who, you know, she, her and her husband thought that they knew this guy at least well enough that he was a decent person. You know, I called her and, you know, she testified at the trial and she'll tell you, she's like, I have never heard somebody so hysterical. She's like, I couldn't even figure out what was going on. You know, if he had been in a car accident or apparently I just kept saying like, he wouldn't let me go. He wouldn't let me go. He wouldn't let me go. And I drove straight to her house. And by the time I got there, like her and her husband were standing on the porch waiting for me. Her husband carried me inside. Like they were just like, whoa, what happened? What happened? You know? seriously like thank goodness for her because my friendship with her she's you know she saved me she she was there for me in that moment um her husband was there for me uh the next day they convinced me to go report to the police even though I didn't want to you know she I had her kind of being like hey tell me what time you want me to take you to the police station and then I'd kind of like was like okay and then she didn't hear from me for like you know a couple hours and she'd get back to me hey what time do you want me to take you? You know, she kind of like that gentle mm-hmm. kind of pushing and like, hey, you know, you should really go within the first 24 hours. It's really important, you know? Yeah. I just want to make a, a quick a quick comment. Like, this is why we believe women. Because can you imagine how, like, as traumatizing as that is, can you imagine if you told someone and they didn't believe you? Right. On top of it all, you know? Like, I cannot even imagine. This is why we believe women. You err on the side of believing women because if there is a chance that is later not true or whatever, you've done like so much damage 
by not, yeah. you know, like, so that's why we say believe women, like women don't lie about these things like this. Like when you are in that level of trauma, I can't imagine going through that and then somebody telling me it didn't happen. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Yeah. It's terrifying. And being in that situation, you don't want to talk about it. You're like, okay, this is done. Right. You don't even want to tell anybody. No. Hundred percent. So you don't want to tell anybody, and then when you do, yep, you finally gotten to the point where you can talk about it. So yeah, believe women because it's it. I myself have been in that situation before, and it is so terrifying. And I'm gonna cry. <laughs> it it's really really hard for us to admit that something that horrifying has happened. Right. 100%. Yeah. I mean, and you said it. I, I, I mean, I woke up when I woke up the next morning. I slept on her couch and I left. Um, I had someone at my work had call had to call because I needed to unlock. They had left their key or something, and I remember driving, you know, fifteen minutes to work and still in the clothes I had before, my makeup all like messed up and runny. And you know, I told my coworker, "Hey, you have to meet me at my car. I don't want the parents and the kids to see me this way." And she was like okay, like what happened? And and she came to my car and I, I'm sure she probably at the time thought, oh, you know, maybe she was out late partying or something and she's hung over. But she'll tell you, like, when I walked up to your car, I was like, you, yeah, I've never seen someone that way. I was in such a daze. It was like I had seen a ghost. Like I was just not the same person. And and I went home. I was living with my parents at the time. I went home went to sleep. Like I just tried to sleep the whole day. I just didn't want to deal. I remember I just kept waking up. It was noontime and I was like, oh my God, he knows where I live. Like Mm -hmm. what if he comes to my parents' house? You know, I was so afraid. He had texted me that night and said, drive safely. What? Oh my God. Fuck off, dude. It was such a, you know, it's terrorizing is what it is. Like such a mind fuck. So upset. And if I didn't have, you know, that that best friend in that moment to to really say to me, like, no, right, this was bad. This was wrong. You need to report. And I know, you know, I don't ever want to pressure other people to report to police because I know, you know, that can be re-traumatizing. Yeah. Right. But I can say for me, you know, she, for whatever reason, knew that was what I needed. And I was so fortunate that when I walked in that police station, you know, I, I remember walking up to the counter, I'm wearing a hooded sweatshirt and I just, that feeling of like, I wanted to cut off my breasts. Right. Mm-hmm. Like I just felt so much shame and just like hatred of my own body. And an officer, you know, I, I went to the counter and said, I, I, I had a I had a date that went badly last night and I need to talk to someone. And that was, you know, when my friend had said to me, if if you want to say it or I'll say it, but like, this is all we have to say. It'll get somebody to talk to you. And I actually, I thanked that police department because I had a, it was an older officer who came out and he pulled me into a back room and he was just standing there and he was like, hi, you know, like, can, can you tell me a little bit about this date that you were on? You know, I heard, you know, maybe something might've happened. He was very, very sweet. And I just broke down and I was like, he, you know, I was like, he, you know, grabbed my breasts and he wouldn't let me go. He wouldn't let me off the couch. And I told him no, and I don't understand. And he wouldn't let me leave. And I just, you know, just in a jumble mess. And he looked at me and he said, honey, there are universal signs for no. Yep. It was like a light bulb in my brain. 
because in that moment, you know, I think your body is in trauma. So you don't always want to believe what actually happened. You want to try to tell yourself that maybe I just, maybe I just didn't interpret things wrong, or maybe this isn't as bad as I thought. Right. Because it's really scary to admit, yeah, yeah, this horrible thing happened and I had no control over it. I mean, that's really scary, you know. So for him to look at me and just be like, "Honey, there are universal signs for no. You said no. Your body language said no. It's gonna be okay." And I, it, that just that just that little bit, and and you know they had you know thankfully a educated police force that has people that deal with sexual assault victims and things. And so uh, my experience with telling my story to them and everything was probably as pleasant as it, it can be in that circumstance, you know. Very lucky for that. Yeah, very lucky. Mm -hmm. So lucky. I mean, you hear these horror stories of women that do go to the police and the way the police talk to them, it's like, it's horrific. Because they're talking to a police officer that probably just date raped someone the night before and all of the right. previous yeah. people or that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> And they're not yeah. trying to hear you. So, yeah, I'm so thankful that you've got yeah. an awesome police officer. And to further validate you in that moment. Yeah. That saved you probably two years of therapy, just being validated by an authority figure, like, in that moment. Absolutely. I mean, I had, fem you know, I had female officers, for one. You know, they weren't the only officers there. But, you know, other than him being the very first one I talked with, the the first one that I actually had to tell everything to, she was, it was a female and yeah, it was, I was very lucky. And by the time I left there, they were like, we're going to try to pick him up tonight. That's amazing. That is amazing. He was arrested at like one of the local bars and in charge with kidnapping, um, intimidation of a witness, sexual assault, um, assault and battery. I mean, yeah. I mean, by the time I left there, I felt almost like a sense of relief that what happened to me wasn't my fault and that I wasn't crazy. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, it was, it was just, it was, it was wild. And I, I again, like, I, I know that I'm so lucky because that is not everyone's story. Mm -mm. Yeah. No. But that, that was what, you know, doing that in reporting, I think I didn't realize it at the time, but, you know, I ended up getting in touch with, um, a woman, her name is Sandra, and I actually want to give her a shout out because she's an amazing person. She works for, uh, it used to be called the South Shore Women's Center in Massachusetts. And now the name is, I think it's a Women and Family Center now, but she works with um, survivors of sexual violence and domestic abuse. And, you know, I sat with her in an IHOP and we talked and I just remember her helping me sort of go through all these thoughts of shame and you know, her saying to me, you know, Bethany, it doesn't matter what you were wearing. You know, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You could be walking around naked and no one has the right to touch you without your consent. You know, just just very things that I think we maybe take for granted, you know, on the outside of the situation. But then when you're in that moment and you're having those feelings, you really need someone to reiterate to you your rights and the value of your own bodily autonomy. Yeah. For sure. So she she was just, she was amazing. And I mean, having to go to court and testify was not easy. And I, you know, I was ripped apart. <laughs> the first thing his lawyer asked me on the stand was, well, how many police stations did you drive by when you left his house? As if, you know, I should have gone straight to a police station instead of 
going to the one person in my life that I felt the most comfortable with, right. you know, after a traumatic right. event. <laughs> I mean, I had, I, I, I showed up, I went to every court hearing and sat there and his lawyer at one point looked at him and said, well, because she's pretty, she thinks she can pull this shit. What? Yeah. Because again, he probably just date raped someone the night before and a hundred other times throughout college and has never been in trouble. So he totally understands why. Mm -hmm. What was the swimmer's name? Brock Turner. It's guys like that that go on to become lawyers and judges and perpetuate a shit on them. Like, we have to do better for victims. Like, there's got to be change to where you can't grill the character of someone who is the victim of a crime. Yeah. It doesn't matter if they drove by five police stations, you fuckwad. Yeah. They, it has nothing to do with what happened. I don't care if they drove to Disneyland the next day. The fact is an assault took place. Like, and that's what we need to talk. Oh, it just makes me so mad. I'm so sorry. I'm angry for you. <laughs> and I hope someday he hears this and he hears me very clearly say, fuck you, Brock Turner. And everyone like you. <laughs> Absolutely. But yes, just like that. And then they... It, it's a network and it's terrible. Oh, I'm so angry for you. I'm sorry that they were even allowed to say things like that. Yeah. Yeah. It was, I mean, I'm not going to lie. It was one of the worst experiences of my life. And then for him to, yeah, you know, him to get off. And it was like, well, it was a he said, she said. He did. He did. Yeah. He did. He got off. And, and I remember the advocate. The DA was amazing and his advocate who worked in his office, you know, her hugging me and saying, you did good. You did everything you could do. Because when I walked off the stand, I felt like, oh, my God, that guy just made me sound like a liar, a drunk, a slut. You know, like asking me, how many police stations did you drive by? Why didn't you stop at the state police station? How many drinks did you have? Well, sir, I had two or three, le definitely less than three in the span of six hours and talk, you know, talking over me and be like, so you had four or five. No, sir. I had two or three. I'm not a very big drinker. So you had four or five. Anyway, well, you know, just or wow, you know, the things that they do and they can do to you and, you know, trying to keep my composure because, you know, you don't want to seem angry. Right. If you're an angry victim, then that's what they're trying to do. Right. Trying to make you look unhinged. Yeah. And, and I remember her saying to me, she was like, yeah. And she's like, you did so good. Like you kept it together. You did so good. And I'm like, I just tried to like stand my ground and like repeat, you know, what I had said in like a calm way. But like he just ripped me apart. What do you, you know, what do you mean? And I didn't, you know, obviously being in it, I didn't realize what I know now. And that that is their strategy and what they're trying to do. And, you know, I don't know if you guys know this, but in most states in sexual assault cases, um, you have someone what's called like uh, something that's called a first complaint witness. So the first person who you told about the assault is allowed to be a witness for you at trial. So my best friend who I had called, she was the first complaint witness and she you know, testified on my behalf. But the problem, part of the problem was when I called her being hysterical and saying, you know, he wouldn't let me go. He wouldn't let me go. I didn't actually disclose any details of the sexual assault until I was at her house. So I stayed on the phone with her literally until I pulled up to her house and and she was, you know, on the porch looking at me holding the phone and hung up the phone and went inside. His lawyers were like, well, the, what was talked about in the house is a separate conversation. 
that can't count what? as the first complaint witness testimony because it's a separate conversation because they hung up the phone. So the judge had to decide, okay, well, what can we, what's admissible in court? Just the initial conversation or the entire thing? And he said, well, you're right. I guess that is a separate conversation. Oh. The only thing that she was able to testify to. Ridiculous. Yeah. So she was only able to testify to the fact that I was terrified and saying he wouldn't let me go. She wasn't allowed to say, you know, oh, well, when we sat down on my couch and she told me what happened, she said she never wanted to wear that shirt again. You know, she said she wanted to burn that shirt. You know, like she wasn't able to testify to anything that really illustrated the sexual aspect of the crime. So, yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot against victims. Yeah, so much. And like, who would want to go through that? Nobody wants to go through that. Like that's in some cases, I would think more traumatizing than the actual experience. Yes. Like to be put through that. Yeah. That's the thing is like, I don't I don't know how when I talk to other survivors and things, it's like. I would never, I could never pressure anybody to come forward because even though for me, I feel like it changed my life, it was really traumatic. Right. And not everybody has has the people around them or the tools to get through that sort of secondary trauma. Right. You know, for me, I was so lucky and I, and by the time we went to trial, I was with my husband who is amazing and we, we were dating and I had, you know, my best friend and I had, you know, people that were there. And so when he was found not guilty, it was devastating. But I did feel like, okay, at least I did all I feel like I did everything I could. Well, and it's in the public record now too. Yeah. If somebody ever looks him up and you can pull that record and see that that accusation was there and that might save someone down the road, you know? Yeah. I hope so. I absolutely hope so. People now do background checks before they go on dates and it'll come up even if it was a not guilty. Yeah. So so and with all that, it was that changed my life and just really made me appreciate, you know, life and, and that thought, just remembering that thought of like, I can't die now. I haven't done anything and and wanting to like actually live my life. And so yeah. from there, I was just... I started speaking out about everything, you know, about the sexual abuse I experienced as a kid and sexual abuse at the hands of boyfriends and sort of, it was such a life-changing event. And I just was like, I can't, I can't be quiet anymore. Like I can't live in, in secrets. And here I am now writing music about this stuff. So <laughs> Yeah. And I love that. I do love though, that like in a fucked up way, it gave you your voice yeah in some other areas like even if the outcome and the trauma and all of that there's a bit of a piece of sliver of positivity that like it gave you the gumption to be able to speak about the other things and help other people who hear it so absolutely one positive thing to come out of a horrible situation mm-hmm. well and again i credit those people that i had that support system yeah because like you said if the first person I told when I came home, I hadn't told my parents anything what happened until I came home from the police station that night, you know, the following night. And I walked in the house and it was like, okay, how am I going to tell my strict Pentecostal parents that I just had to file a police report against a guy? Like, this is embarrassing. This is whatever. And I, so I just, I walked in and I just said, just want you to know that I went on a date last night and it didn't go well. And I just had to file a police report against the guy because he assaulted me. And, you know, 
of course, they're shocked. And the first thing my not so healthy mother says is, oh, my God, what were you wearing? Oh, my God, God, woman. And I'm like, and, you know, luckily, my dad was like, I won't say her name, but he said her name. It was like, hey, will you stop? Just listen to your daughter. Good for him. And was like, what happened? And I'm like, I don't, you know, (laughs) and I'm like, dad, I don't really want to talk about it, but he assaulted me and he wouldn't let me go. He locked me in his house and taunted you and taunted me, shut the lights off, locked the door like it like he's just like, oh, my gosh, okay, you know. Yeah. That just made me think of when I was young, my very well-meaning, wonderful dad told me on so many occasions if anyone were to ever hurt you or, or do anything like that inappropriate, I would kill them and I would gladly spend the rest of my life in prison for that. Oh, and like, he's meaning well, but I remember being very little thinking, I'm never going to tell him, like, if something like that happens because I don't want my dad to go to jail forever. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, we've got to think about the things that we say, like, you know, to children and to our, our children as the authority figure of like, I would never, I did never tell him anything yeah. bad like that that ever happened to me because I knew he would. And my dad's like a, a very calm, sweet, like he is not a violent person, mm-hmm. but he feels like he would be in that situation. And I get the sentiment mm-hmm. as a parent, but like, yeah, we got to create safe places for people to know that we're not going to fly off the handle or not like reacting, I think, in when you have a violent thing happen to you. And then if somebody else were to react violently, even if it's not toward you, it's like they're saying to that person that could be terrifying as well. You know, yeah. Yeah. Similarly, when my sexual assault happened, I told my dad and my dad is a police officer, but it happened in a different county and he told me later that he looked the guy up and was considering going and hurting him and potentially going to jail so yeah he was he almost reacted in violence as well and then my mom had to talk him down yeah and then how much worse would you feel like even though it's not your fault but then it's like yeah right now yeah Mm -hmm. yeah it just creates like extra burden on the survivor right without even meaning to you know with the best of intentions right it's an excellent way to put that yeah and unfortunately the davidson county police department basically did nothing they they made me come to the police department and call this guy and record the conversation and have a casual conversation with him and try to get him to admit what he did Oh, my gosh. So I I had to do that like three times and then they just couldn't get him to admit to it. And then they just let it go. So nothing happened. I got no counseling. That was their investigative technique. That was their investigative technique. How unprofessional. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It was awful. I'm so sorry. Yeah, it was terrible. That is so awful. And then you like never want to talk to that person again. Like how scary is it to then be on the phone? Yeah. Yeah. And then a few years later, I was waiting tables at a restaurant and he came in. And as soon as I saw him, I just I broke down and I hid in the kitchen. It's terrible. Yeah. I can. I can't even imagine. It was was awful. So sorry. I I mean, I'm so, so glad that you had that great experience and they did what they they could do. And you got to stand trial. That's amazing. And then you had support system. Yeah. I think like. You know, it just it speaks to how 
you know, not all of our police departments in this country are trained very well at all, you know? Not at all. Mm-mm. It's like, you know, if you're putting people out there that are supposed to protect other people and keep them safe and, and investigate crimes, they should be educated on yeah mm-hmm. the best ways to do that, you know? it's And on narcissists, too. Like, mm-hmm. I think of, I don't know if either of you watched the Gabby Petito, like when they got pulled over by the police because someone had called and said they saw the guy slap her. Yes. If you watch that whole thing, mm-hmm. it's like, I have no credentials and I can tell he's a narcissist. Like, by the way, he, yeah, his body language, how he's immediately befriending these police officers. You've got one person that's calm, cool, and collected, and you've got another person who is hyperventilating. And somehow you've figured out that she's the aggressor and he, right, yep. the victim, because of like, she's scared to get him in trouble. And it's so obvious. And it's like, how is this not obvious to you guys? You do this for a living. Like, you should be trained on this. Yeah, like blaming herself, like... And it's like, wait a second here. Like, well, what's the whole picture? Right. You know, what what really happened? And the fact that, you know, the initial call was that he was assaulting her. Someone saw him slap her. So it's, it's like, you don't even take that into consideration. <laughs> right. But he talked his way out of it. So sad. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much for sharing that story with us. It is a good one. I think a really good point to make is that like your friends who love and care about you really thought this person was a decent guy. Yep. You know, like I often see when women talk about things that happen, people will jump in and be like, he's a, I've known him since I was five and he is wonderful. He could be wonderful to you, mm-hmm. but like someone in that situation, it doesn't matter how long you've known him. It doesn't matter if it's your brother or your family member. So they've been wonderful to you for 20 years. Great. That doesn't mean they are not a complete monster when no one is like, that's right. And so you can't absolutely you can't base it on a prior relationship with an abuser that was always good to you. I think that's a really important point. I think that's yeah. I mean, I I think it's hard for people to grasp that none of us are all like 100 percent good or 100 percent bad. You know, right. We all have bad sides or things that we do that's not so great. Mm -hmm. So I think that's like really hard for people to grasp. So then they, you know, see someone who's like this jovial, great, charming person. And it's like, wait a minute, they couldn't have possibly done X, Y, and Z. And it's like, well, no, you don't 100% know every side to a person. You don't. You know, hopefully most of us, the worst things about our personalities or the worst things that we do are are silly in comparison, hopefully. Mm-hmm. Right. And sometimes some people it's not. You know, some people, the worst of their personality is to be an absolute predator. Right. And I think like so much of that comes back to and people roll their eyes when you say the phrase toxic masculinity. But like this is what it breeds. Yep. It breeds the inability to take any kind of rejection. And it yes. breeds not being able to take no for an answer because it's somehow like directly affecting their manhood Mm -hmm. and it's like this is why we have to break these patterns because when they get in that situation they cannot handle it like the ego the fragile ego cannot take it and they are a monster Mm. it's like if we didn't perpetuate all of these things we wouldn't be here today yeah this rape culture that exists like would not happen without the goddamn patriarchy that's right (laughs) absolutely (laughs) we get on a soapbox about that for hours. Yeah, we could. It's true. Well, you know, what's crazy is my, I should have said this before, um, my friend, you know, who 
you testified. She told me, she said, well, you know, that investigators came to my house to interview me again. And, you know, I gave a statement to them, but they wanted to check up on you. And I'm like, what? Like, what do you mean? She's like, well, they asked me all kinds of questions about you. Like, are you known to be a big drinker? Are you a party girl? Are you promiscuous? How many boyfriends have you had? Yeah. And I'm like, I, that's always stuck with me because I think about it and it's like, I was sort of quote unquote, the perfect victim. And I feel like that is the only reason, sadly, why I saw some sort of justice. Yeah. You know, because I am white. Right. I belong to a, a decent family with like a, a decent reputation. My father's a minister. Um, I had been pretty much a goody two shoes and only had a few boyfriends. And I wasn't known to go out and party really at all. You know, I barely went out to bars. All these things that made me sort of like this. It's like, oh, okay, well, I guess we can believe her because she's an acceptable, quote unquote, perfect victim. Right. Had I been a black woman who likes to go hang out at the local bar every weekend and maybe drink a little bit too much, would I be taken seriously? Or had got caught with some weed once 20 years ago. Yeah. Something like stupid like that. Yeah. 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 And it's like, I'm, I'm like, are you kidding me? Like any, like any of that is relevant, right? None of it is relevant. None of it. You know, how many boyfriends I had or like, and they said, they're like, oh, you know, they're like, what, you know, what do you think about her? Is she promiscuous? And the, you know, my friend is like, oh my God, like, no, she, if anything, she's like the opposite. Like, I'm trying to tell her to like loosen up and have a good time and go out on a date with this guy. You know, she doesn't really date around and every guy that she dates, she gets really serious with and very fast and she's you know just one of those people that's a relationship person and she teaches preschool gymnastics you know my there's my friend having to say these things as if trying to make a case for you is yeah it's awful it's like and that's what they need so what if you were promiscuous at least you yeah scented doesn't matter if you're a sex worker like if you don't consent yeah consent right Exactly. None of that matters. And it's it's really sad that they take that into account. Yeah. It's just, it, I just, I always think about that because I know that there are so many out there that don't have the resources I had. Right. You know, don't have the friends that I had. Don't have people believe. Right. If there's anyone out there and you're listening to this, I believe you. I believe you too. Really? Yeah. Absolutely. And then you met um, an amazing man and lived happily ever after, right? Wow. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I am, I was so lucky, you know, when I met my husband, I had so many trust issues and it's kind of funny. I started singing in my first band and that was a huge deal because, you know, in my family, listening to secular music wasn't really acceptable. <laughs> I kind of, I, I did kind of get my parents to ease up a little bit on that as I was growing up, but. And look what happened. Yeah. <laughs> You're a rock star. <laughs> now I'm not using my voice for the Lord, but that's going to be a whole different episode. Gospel Christian is supposed to be using your voice for the Lord in that way. And I started singing with a pop country band in bars and that gave me like purpose and pride and for the first time since i you know quit i was an athlete as a kid i was a gymnast and you know quit 
just before college. And so the, for the first time since high school, I started to feel like I knew what I wanted to do and found something I loved and gave me a lot of, just was so good for my self-esteem, you know? And I you know, met my husband, who's also a, a musician, and I asked everybody that I could find that was in our local music scene about him because I was so... I was like, do you know this guitar player? He's in a really pop, he was in a popular band. Do you know anything about him? And it's so funny because everything I heard from people was like, yeah, you know, he's actually like the nicest guy and he's not really like a big partier. I know he was married and he used to just really, you know, come to a gig and then go home. He wasn't really involved in like the crazy shenanigans. He seemed really into music just for the music and committed other otherwise to his wife. And so... Yeah, I I met him and he is just, he's my best friend and he was so patient and so cool about everything. I mean, I I struggled for a long time uh, with flashbacks during sex and, and just a lot of that stuff that I think was from everything from trauma and being assaulted by that guy to being raped by my boyfriends to purity culture, feeling like, you know, maybe it's not okay to enjoy your body and maybe it's shameful you know he's he's just been very patient through all of it and always encouraged me to get help and was able to have the hard conversations you know with me when when I would be struggling and he'd be like you know what you need you need therapy and you got to take care of your shit and and so I you know he really is my best friend and I think that's important too because I think we all need therapy they should be therapy. If you don't think that you need therapy, it's possible you may not need it in that moment. But if you're perfect and you think that you never need it, you may need it the most. So, <laughs> right? <laughs> I love the saying of like, we go to therapy to learn how to deal with people who refuse to go to therapy. Yes. <laughs> so we're in therapy because you won't go to therapy. <laughs> Well, I'm so glad that you found such a great guy. He seems like a very, very, he just has very sweet vibes that he gives off when there's pictures of you guys and everything that I see. He just seems like a really genuine, sweet, kind person. And I really love that for you. Thank you so much. Yeah, he he is. And I'm sure he'll be embarrassed that I talked about him on well, thank you so much for sharing your story. I really appreciate it. I know it's difficult to talk about, but I think it's so important. Like the more we are vocal and the more we tell these stories, the more that things finally start to change a little bit. So I really appreciate it. Yes, thank you. Thank you so much for having me and for everything you guys are doing for you know survivors of all kinds of trauma. It's pretty amazing that you're giving them a platform to share their stories. Thank you so much. Thanks. Have a good night. You too. Bye. Thank you for listening. We appreciate it so much. If you want to support our show further, you can share our podcast with your friends, follow us on our socials at MGCOMPod, or sign up for our Patreon to help keep the show going with a donation. Or you can become a patron for exclusive access to bonus content and interact with us and other loyal listeners on our feed. Meanwhile, if you liked what you heard today, please leave us a positive review. If you didn't, no worries. Move on about your day. If you want to share your story on our show, please visit our website at ngcompod.com to fill out the contact us form. Thanks again for listening. 